If you could, please turn in your Bibles to 1 John. You may recall a while back, I know you're all very smart, so I know you remember perfectly, but a while back I had the opportunity to to preach uh, out of the first five verses of this wonderful letter. And I, I picked those verses because at the time I was studying 1 John for my seminary Greek class. And in doing so, I, I just fell in love with this letter. Now, you don't have to wait with bated breath. I did finish the course. I passed. Thank you for your prayers on that. Um, but though I finished the class, uh, the letter was not finished with me. I, I find myself returning to it over and over again because the more I explore, the more there is to find. So, when I was graciously given another opportunity to preach, I, I asked Pastor Drew, Could I, can I just keep going? And he said yes, and here we are this morning. We will be focusing our attention on verses 5 through 10. And by God's good grace, my prayer is that you can share in the joy that I have had in meditating further upon 1 John. So give ear to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Our heavenly Father of light, in whom there is no darkness at all, we ask that you would shine your light into our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, we ask that you illumine us so that we may know you and your word better. May the scales fall from our eyes so that we can see you clearly. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may perhaps be familiar uh, with John's nickname. Yeah, that's right. The Apostle John has a nickname. He is known as the Beloved Disciple. And it comes out of verses such as 1 John 21, verse 20, which reads, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And it's been passed down and taught in church history that the disciple whom Jesus loved is a reference to John. And when we read the first five verses of John, uh, this memory kind of gives a weighty intimacy to John's opening words. John wrote that Jesus, the word of life, was made manifest and was able to be seen and heard and touched. John himself got to lean back against his beloved Savior at the Last Supper. And the Apostle John 
a man motivated by love for his Savior, wrote to his beloved readers so that they too may have fellowship with them. And indeed, it says, their fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John so desired for his readers to share in the loving fellowship with God that he says his joy is incomplete without it. This morning, as we continue on in the letter, examining verses 5 through 10, we get a sneak peek into another aspect of John's character. Because you may not know it, but the Apostle John actually has a second nickname, another nickname, lesser-known nickname. In the 4th century, so, one, you know, a little while back, in the 4th century, a scribe was copying the Greek of the book of the Bible we call Revelation. So, at the top of the, the manuscript, he wrote, Apocalypsis Ianu, the revelation of John, but he adds in the margin, tu theologu, John the theologian. In this morning's text, we get to see how John's mind was saturated and enraptured with thoughts of God. In verses 5 through 10, John the theologian is giving us a theology course, but not the dry academic kind that we tend to associate with theology. I like the dry academic theology. But John's course is vibrant and lively. John's theology course is for everyone. It's for the spiritual children yearning to be nourished by the pure spiritual milk. And it's for the spiritually mature who wish to feast upon the meat. And there are three points that I believe John wants us to take away from this course. First, we want to focus on what it means that God is light. Second, we want to focus on how we can be assured that we have fellowship with this God of light. And third, we want to focus on what it means to walk in the light. So three points of focus this morning. God is light, fellowship in the light, and walking in the light. First, God is light. We read in 1 John chapter 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And it's actually a little marvelous that John starts this way, right? In verse 3, he said his goal in writing these things was that we would have fellowship with them. In our modern day of commercials and ads, we would expect after a statement like that, that John would give us the list of benefits of fellowship. He would sell it to us. And not in a, I don't mean that in a crass way, because there is an infinite number of blessings that we have by being in fellowship with our God. It would have been fine and appropriate to list these blessings and say, don't you want this? But that's not how John starts. He starts by making a theological statement. And there's two reasons for this. And the first one, the first reason John starts with a theological statement about who God is is because the most vital thing that he could communicate to his readers is who God is. It is central in John's mind that we truly know who God is. John doesn't start by trying to convince his readers to be in fellowship, because if you truly know who God is, you need no other reason. 
God is both the reason and the goal. Knowing God is the motivation and the reward. If you truly know who God is, you need no more reasons to desire to have a relationship with him. So in John, the theologian's mind, truly knowing God is of central importance. It is the chief joy of the Christian to know God and to be known by him. It is the the long-awaited promise of Ezekiel 34, which reads, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they are my people. John wants his readers to know God first. This is where he starts because it is of central importance. Now, there are many books written on the doctrine of God. One of my favorites is by John Frame, and it's like about as thick as my head. Uh, and it, it, they're great. But John, John doesn't use hundreds of words. It doesn't take hundreds of pages to describe who God is. Instead, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John uses just a few illustrative words. And he says this about God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. How many times have we as Christians read this verse and we read it so quickly that we miss the power of those words? Let's pause and meditate on this, dear saints. God is light. And when you stop and think about it, we can see that light is a powerful thing. We take for granted light all the time. Every, every morning we take for granted that the sun is up. Well, we, we take it for granted, that is, until we accidentally stare towards the sun and it blinds us momentarily and we have those blotches in our eyes we have to adjust, right? The sun, the light of the sun is a powerful thing. It is so powerful that we cannot directly stare into the sun because its light will make us go blind. The light of the sun is so powerful that it not only illuminates our earth so that we can see, but its light shines to the furthest recesses of our galaxy, hits a planet, bounces back towards us so that we can see the planets around us. That is a remarkable thing. Light is powerful. And I was reminded uh, recently Uh, of another way the the light is powerful. I I spent the 4th of July working outside like all day, and I come in and my shoulders have turned into bright red tomatoes burning. (laughs) The the light is powerful because it can even burn. It can bleach our patio furniture. It is a powerful, purifying element. It, it, It boggles the mind. But the light of the sun doesn't even hold a candle to the light of our God. The light, the sun, it it only shines because it was created by the creator, the God of light. Still, this imagery of light that John uses beautifully represents to our minds and hearts deep truths about who God is. Uh, Even as we just reflect on the the light of nature, uh, it comports with what we see in the scriptures. The beauty of light reminds us of the glory of God. Ezekiel 10.4 reads, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of our Lord. And just as the morning light can chase away the fear of night, it can also remind us of our hope in God's salvation. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The sunlight makes our crops grow, which reminds us that God gives good gifts James 1.17, 
every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And we can know and see things because of light, which reminds us of God's revealing Himself to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. These are remarkable, beautiful things, wonderful things. But light can also burn or bleach. It, is, it can be purifying, which reminds us of the justice of God. Psalm 94, verse 1, O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. It's as John said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The purity of God's light can have nothing to do with darkness. In fact, God's light burns away all the darkness. In fancy theological terms, we would say and should say that God, the God of light, He is ethically and epistemologically pure. That's the fancy way of saying there are no dark failures or wrongdoing in our God. He is morally pure to the umpteenth degree, and no darkness can hide or obscure his knowledge. God is intellectually pure. And it's to this God of perfect, pure light that God, John is calling us to be in fellowship with. And if we, we actually stop and think about that for a moment, that should be a wonderfully and awfully terrifying thought. And I don't mean awful in the, in the sense it's a bad thought, I mean awful in the sense that it is full of awe. It should be a wonderfully and awfully terrifying thought because this God of perfect light, the grandeur of his light reveals just how imperfect and dark we really are and that we are worthy of judgment. John is familiar with this kind of terror. We read in Matthew 17 that John, along with Peter and James, witnessed Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus was transformed before their eyes. We read in Matthew 17 too that Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And in Mark 9:6, which describes the this, this same event, we read that the disciples were terrified as they stood in the presence of the purity and glory of the light of Jesus shining like the sun, their ignorance and their sins left them terrified. Do we ever stop to consider what a God we worship? Do we? I know I don't as often as I should. And I believe we should. Dear saints, Christians have an awful an often well-deserved reputation for being hypocrites. We are great at finding fault in others, but we are often so blind to our own sin and failures. And one part of that problem is that we simply have too small a view of who God is. In 1 Timothy 6.16, Paul says that he is the God who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. 
See, as we, as we take the time to really think about who this God of light is, it shines a light on all the darkness around us and within us. Truly knowing God for John the theologian is of central importance. So he starts here. We are often guilty of making God into something less than what he is, the God of unapproachable light. So, we focus on what it means that God is light. It is a wonderful and awful thing. Now I want to focus on how can we be assured that we have fellowship with this God? How can we be assured that we have fellowship with each other in the light? And this is important. I've said some pretty strong things just now. If I don't reflect on this with you, if we don't reflect on this as John wants us to, we could be left in a very sorry state. I said we should be wonderfully and awfully terrified when we contemplate the purity and glory of God's light. Terrifying, because His light reveals all the darkness indwelling and remaining in me, showing me that I am unworthy of fellowship. And if we are left there, that is a place of no hope. And I do not wish to leave you there. John does not wish to leave you there because this fear of God that we are discussing is meant to be the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the fear of punishment. It is a fearful respect with a wonderful assurance. John experienced both this kind of fear and this assurance at Jesus' transfiguration after it says that John fell on his face in terror he feels Jesus touch him. And then he hears Jesus' voice say, rise and have no fear. Do you hear the tenderness in Jesus' words there? They're meant for you too. God's light is not meant to destroy you, dear saints, but it's meant to guide you to him. It is terrifying but it is wonderful and awe-inducing because his light also can assure us that we have fellowship with him. To to make this point a little clearer, it's important that I stop and, and say the obvious. I'm speaking to you as Christians. I'm speaking to you believers. Uh, and I, I stop here and pause on this basic point because that's That's who John's also writing to. John is writing to Christians and believers. Now, if you do not believe the gospel, then the light of God should be a terror and a fear of punishment. The light of God is only wonderful and awe-inducing to the believer. But John is writing to believers. Now, you may recall I said there are two reasons why John starts with a theology lesson instead of trying to sell us on the benefits of fellowship. The first reason was because knowing God is of first and central importance. The second reason is simple. It's because he's writing to Christians already in fellowship with God. He doesn't need to convince them to be in fellowship because they are. And we know this is the case because in in chapter 3, verse 1, John calls his readers children of God. He says, indeed, you are children of God. There's no question in his mind. John is not writing to the unbeliever trying to convert them. He's writing to believers who already have this fellowship. 
So when John says he wants them to have fellowship with him and with God, he's not suggesting that they don't. Rather, his hope, his purpose here is to encourage his readers to authentically experience and to live out the reality of their salvation. He wants his readers to experience that same assurance he felt when he felt his Savior and heard the words, fear not. And he, John desires that we likewise would continue to follow Christ. But how does God's light assure us that we have fellowship with him? Reading from verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, this statement actually makes perfect and logical sense because we took the time to reflect fully on the theology of God being light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Therefore, Anyone who walks in darkness cannot possibly be in fellowship with God. And note that the twisted irony in his example. This is an example of bad theology. The person claims to have fellowship with God, but continues to walk in darkness. If we were to make that claim, that would make us liars, and we wouldn't be practicing the truth. In other words, people who make such a bad claim haven't experienced for themselves the wonderful and awful reality that God is light. They lie about the paths they trod on. They try to lie to others. They esteem themselves as pure as God, and they claim they are in fellowship with Him. In short, they are hypocrites. They claim to be in fellowship with God, but walk in a way not at all keeping with God's character. But what if, and this is a big what if, what if we acknowledge our imperfections and our unworthiness? What if we turn our backs on darkness and purpose to live in a way that reflects God's character? Well, then we would not be hypocrites. Then we would be in fellowship with God and with each other, and we could have the assurance of forgiveness. We would not need to fear punishment because we fear God, and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. As I said, dear saints, God's light is not meant to destroy us, but to guide us to Him. And you see, God's light shows us who God is, and as God reveals Himself to us, we begin to know ourselves. As we know who God is, we better know who we are in light of who He is. As we come to know ourselves better then, it leads us back to God. John Calvin opened his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion with these words, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Calvin says that we cannot even look upon ourselves without first contemplating the God in whom we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 28. In fact, our very gifts of reasoning are from God. 
Indeed, Calvin says, our very being is nothing but subsistence in the one God. And as we reflect on God, as we see the light of his radiant glory, we come to see just how impoverished and needy we are, which then all the better shows us the infinitude of God's blessings. Calvin says, the miserable ruin into which the rebellion of the first man cast us, especially compels us to look upward. As we reflect on the majestic, purifying, wonderfully awe-inducing light of God, and as we feel our unworthiness and our imperfections, it's meant to drive our gaze upward. How then can we be assured that we have fellowship with God in the light? Look upward. Look into the light. If you are in Christ, it will not blind you but rather give you understanding. Stare directly into the light of God. Feel the full weight of your unworthiness and your sins, and then confess them to God. John, starting in verse 8, says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This assurance of fellowship with God and with each other in the light, cannot come by looking at ourselves. It comes by looking into the light and experiencing the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. And so now we come to our last point. We've reflected on what it means that God is light, and we've seen how we can have assurance of our fellowship in the light. But it remains to be seen what exactly does John mean by walking in the light? Personally, as I approached this text, my, my immediate thinking was that this was a reference to keeping God's commandments. It's about living ethically. And I, I imagine, if, we're, if you're honest, that's probably where your mind went too. That's certainly part of it. it. That is true. If we look ahead, you're allowed to skip ahead. It's not gonna, there's no spoilers. It's all God's word. If you skip ahead, we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, that keeping God's commandments are important. They're vitally important. But what's interesting to me is that this is not where John starts. He has something important he wants to teach us about walking in the light first. And so what is it? Well, first, let's establish what it is not. When John says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he by no means is imagining that we can live as perfectly as God does. The sinless perfection is not what it is meant by walking in the light. We noted already that the twisted irony of claiming to be in fellowship with God while walking in darkness, that was an example of theology gone wrong, of bad theology. But John gives two other examples of bad theology. In in verse 8, we read, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In this example, instead of lying to others, about having fellowship with God, instead of lying to others, we're we're lying to ourselves. How foolish is that? We lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves about our sin and our need for forgiveness. And the scriptures are abundantly clear. All people are born sinners and will go on to commit sin in their daily lives. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men.
because all sinned. In the next example of bad theology, John says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And note the progression of foolishness here. In the first example, we would be lying to others. In the second, we would be lying to ourselves. And in the third, at the pinnacle of foolishness, we would be making God out to be the liar. In this final example, this pinnacle of foolishness, we would be claiming that we have not sinned and that God is the one who is wrong. God is the liar. He is the one with darkness, not me. That is folly, absolute folly. And so John makes it very, very clear that walking in the light is not a matter of sinless perfection. That is not possible here on this earth. And the reason I found this so remarkable, the way, the reason why, I, as I came to it, I, I, I really struggled to understand what John was trying to do, was because it just totally went against my expectation. I started by assuming walking in the light primarily implied keeping God's law. And then I was struck to the heart by John starting by saying, you can't. You can't keep God's law. If you are guilty of one part, you're guilty of it all. You cannot perfectly keep the law, so that cannot be the starting point of walking in the light. Rather, walking in the light is about repentance and confession of our sins whenever we commit them, and commit them we shall. Repenting and confessing is the starting point of walking in the light. True, but it's more than just that. John has envisioned that repentance and confession is also the path that we follow all the days of our life here on earth. Notice how John speaks in the present tense in verses nine or seven and nine. He says, the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. That is an ongoing reality. He says in verse nine, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a promise that God will forgive us if we walk in repentance and confession. Repentance and confession of sin are essential features of walking in the light. We should caveat this because Paul dealt with this, this objection. He, Paul had dealt with the objection. So what you're saying, these people would say to Paul, what you're saying is we can go ahead and sin however we want because we can just say, I'm sorry later. That is not what John means. It's not what Paul meant. It's not what Scripture means. It's not what the gospel is. No, if we understand the very nature of true repentance and confession, we understand that it includes that we hate and turn away from our sin, and we understand that repentance and confession exclude the possibility that we could continue to walk in darkness and sin with abandon. If we sinned freely and with abandon and never confessed our sins, we would be walking in darkness. Simple enough. But what if we falsely or half-heartedly confessed our sins? Well, or, or what if we confessed most of them but just kept a couple on the side? What would that make us? According to John, we would be hypocrites and liars. We would be blind to the sin of our hypocrisy, walking in darkness, lying to others about the fellowship we have with God. 
If we claimed we had not lied or we had not been hypocritical, we would be deceiving ourselves and making God out to be the liar. In short, this flows right out of the theology of understanding God is light. If you understand that and truly understand what that means for who you are, the life of repentance and confession excludes that you would go on to sin with abandon. So that's why when John wants us to know about walking in the light, he doesn't start by saying, keep the law, live ethically. No, the first place he starts and the place he expects us, the path he expects us to stay on is with repenting and confessing our sins whenever we commit them. Now, as I'm wrapping up, I'm going to have to leave you with a cliffhanger. There is much more that needs to be and can be said about walking in the light, and Lord willing, we'll get to talk about those more if I get to preach from 1 John again. But while you wait, I want to conclude by reflecting on one more way in which John broke my expectations. The first one, well, it was the second one. (laughs) Chronologically, this was the second way John broke my expectations. One way which he did it uh, was by starting with the the idea of repentance and confession, uh, being the starting place and the path in which we walk in the light. That broke my expectation. And we saw how John also broke our expectations by starting with a theology lesson. God is light. And that's, that's pretty shocking, but not just because it was a theology lesson. Rather, the thing that shocked me is that he started with God as light, because that's, that's not how people typically think of God today. There's another famous verse in 1 John that believers and non-believers alike love to quote when they talk about who God is. People love to say God is love. That comes from 1 John 4, 8. But that's not where John started. John doesn't start by saying God is love. He says God is light. Our world and culture love to say God is love, but they say that to justify all sorts of atrocious sins. Rarely do we hear people say God is light. Why? Why does John start here? Why is this so hard for people to say? Because sinners are more willing to accept a loving God than they are to accept a holy God. A holy God is something radically different than the way they conceive of a loving God. When sinners say God is love, what they mean is that their form of a loving God accepts them and their sins. A loving God wouldn't expect them to change, wouldn't expect them to give up their darkness. A holy God, however, A holy God will accept sinners, but he does expect that darkness flee from his light. God will not accept our sin because he is a God of love, because he will not leave his people in sin and darkness and death. Rather, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, God shines his light on sin, exposes it, makes it visible, And then calls to us and says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is a holy God, but it is not the God that people want in their sin. So, to the unbeliever who may be listening, I'm now speaking to you. You can have fellowship with this God of light. It is possible to make the claim 
to be in fellowship with him and to, for it to be true. But you cannot have fellowship with this God of light and experience him as the God of love if you remain in darkness. Your sin will lead to death and eternal damnation. Then you will experience the God of light as the God of vengeance. And that is truly terrifying. But we would much rather you experience the joy of being in fellowship in the light, fellowship with God, fellowship with each other, and to know the comfort of walking in his light. How do we do this? By turning our eyes upon Jesus, to look at his wonderful face. Confess your sins to the God of light and trust that Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for your sins so that you too may be cleansed by his blood. And you, along with the rest of the saints who walk in light, in the practice of repentance and confession, you too can have the blessed assurance of forgiveness and life forever with him in the blessed city described in Revelation 21, the city which has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O God of light, we give you our worship. You are worthy of worship, and we pray that your word and your spirit will continue to be a lamp unto our feet and a guide on our path, that you would lead us to yourself by your light. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.